The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 307 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from medical practice. Our topic today is family caregiving for women and the Alzheimer's crisis. Alzheimer's disease is the most common type of dementia. It's a disease of the brain that, at this time anyway, can't be stopped, reversed or cured. It slowly destroys brain functions such as remembering, thinking and speaking and carrying out even simple tasks. And sometimes it leads to aggressive or violent behavior, and it even destroys the ability of individuals to recognize members of their own families, all of which the Alzheimer's Association March 2014 Summary of Alzheimer's Disease Facts and Figures is the focus of very serious attention, and all of which is why our topic, Family Caregiving for Women and the Alzheimer's Crisis, is so important. Now, to discuss it, our guest is Dr. Dean Hartley. Dean is Director of Science Initiatives at the Alzheimer's Association. He completed postdoctoral fellowships in the departments of, departments of medicine, genetics, and neurology at Harvard Medical School after completing his PhD in neuroscience at Stanford University in 1991. He has a leadership role in the development of the Alzheimer's Association's research and scientific initiatives and in communicating its goals and achievements to many, many audiences. Before joining the association, he was an associate professor in the Department of Neurological Sciences and he conducted research at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. Prior to this, he was assistant professor in the Department of Neurology at Harvard Medical School and conducted research at Brigham and Women's Hospital, Boston. He's authored numerous publications in top scientific journals on the mechanisms thought to cause neurons, those are the brain cells, to become dysfunctional or to die in diseases such as epilepsy, stroke, and Alzheimer's disease. And Dean is a researcher of the highest level through and through. So welcome to the show, Dean. Thank you, Gordon. It's a pleasure to be here and a very important topic. Great. Now, I'd like you to start by asking you, Dean, please, to tell us more about your work with the Alzheimer's Association and about any personal experience you have with family caregiving. 
sure. Um, as you kind of uh, outlined in, in that description of my duties, is it's important for us to go out and say, what goals do the Alzheimer's Association have in terms of uh, scientific directions? Where are some of the problems? Plus, how do we actually motivate people to understand the issues that are going forward in terms of solving these research questions? And particularly, we do a lot on trying to figure out on how do we get the dollars to fund the research that's needed, as you say, to either slow, stop, or prevent the disease. Now, I've been fairly fortunate that in my family, we have not been touched by Alzheimer's disease. But as we know, in terms of when I fly on airplanes and when I actually meet audiences, there's always somebody that seems to be touched by this disease. But I do see how important caregiving is because of my mother. Uh, As she's been aging, we can see many of the other diseases that she's challenged with. She has diabetes. She has hypertension, a great deal of pain. And these are some of the questions that we have or problems that we have for managing Alzheimer's disease. There are other comorbidities or these other diseases which impinge upon how you treat Alzheimer's disease. So it is uh, difficult caring for people as they age and making sure that they stay medically healthy. So for that reason, watching my mom trying to manage her pills and what she deals with pain and how she interacts with her own physician and care, um, care consultants is an important way for me to see how we have to get that science and how we have to get the awareness out there to help people. Right. Now, talking of um, what you do, please tell us about the mission of the Alzheimer's Association. Dean? Sure. The interesting part is that um, you can always sum it up. We want to see a world without Alzheimer's disease. Uh, That's our true goal. And if we put ourselves out of business, that would be wonderful. But really, we have kind of four pillars that the association works on. It started in 1980 as a care and support organization by uh, Jerome Stone, who actually just turned 101 and still comes to the office and helps raise money for the association. But that care and support is a critical part of what we do at the association. We have our www.alz.org or our 1-800-272-3900 number in which people can get free services and information about how to deal with the disease. It could be patients, it could be caregivers, it could be physicians, anybody that has questions. So care and support is a critical part. Awareness is another big piece. We've seen that in other diseases such as cancer. There used to be these stigmas with these other diseases and not talked about, but the awareness is what really moves the needle in finding those solutions, those treatments. So care and uh, awareness and concern, care and support, and public policy. We need to move things in Washington. In other words, those legislators need to know what kind of resources are needed, the dollars that are needed for both care and support as well as research. So our policy groups worked very closely with that. In fact, we're very um, proud of the fact that we helped in 2011 to get the National Alzheimer's Project Act passed, which is the federal government has put a stake in the ground to say, by 2025, we're going to find treatments and cures. That also means they have to put up the resources to do that by 2025. And the last piece that we do is research. Again, we have an international grants program. We uh, fund people globally for looking for solutions to how do we get new treatments and possibly preventions for the disease. So that's really the mission of the Alzheimer's Disease uh, Association. 
Right. Now, I want to switch, Dean, please, to the report, the uh, Alzheimer's Association March, <coughs> excuse me, 2014 summary of Alzheimer's disease facts and figures. I'd like you to summarize back to us or highlight, if you like, for <laughs> women, the really, really key facts and figures in that March 2014 summary. Dean? Very good. And just to put that somewhat in context is that every year we do put out these facts and figures because they're important for, again, that awareness and concern piece. Uh, concern piece. We know that legislators need these numbers as they go into appropriation committees to say, these are the costs, these are the impacts to families in terms of Alzheimer's disease. But this particular piece that you ask about is something that is from our a 2010 report, the Shriver Report, that looked at the implications of what Alzheimer's has for women. So in, uh, we uh, went back and we uh, distributed new um, surveys to try to look at where we are and how this disease impacts women. And I think it really boils down to two different categories, those living with the disease and those caregivers. What we know from the data that came out of the facts and figures is that women are at risk at the age of 60 of developing Alzheimer's disease. It's one in six. This is uh, different um, for, for men because it's one in 11. To put this in context, women at the age of 60 are also uh, inclined to have a one in 11 chance of developing breast cancer. The thing that we do know about these 5 million Americans that are currently living with Alzheimer's disease Two-thirds of them are women. So you can see women are living with this disease. They're greatly impacted. On the other side, what we see is that women are by far the greatest caregiver. 60% of women are the caregivers for Alzheimer's disease. And they are the, take on the biggest burden. They take on almost two and a half times more of the duties for caring for these people. So for that reason... They are the primary caregiver. Now, let me put this to you, and this is a kind of a bit of a loaded question, but sure. what it comes to is that women as family caregivers are unpaid workers, healthcare workers, healthcare support providers, and their work is fundamental to our societies. But if they themselves are having their lives shortened, are being affected, as you've said, to such a great degree, what we're in fact losing is not just women, but also caregivers. Now, have I summarized that correctly, do you think? And if that so, is correct. What's your response? One of the numbers okay. that we see is that there is an increase in terms of health care costs for caregivers. In other words, their health declines by the fact of that 24-7, 365 day a year uh, care for these individuals. That is burdensome. It's an emotional toll, many things that uh, produce additional stress. So, yes, it does impact them greatly, and the fact is that they are the primary caregiver. We're going to be talking a more about this in the upcoming two segments, but nevertheless, just let me press you on this point. Do you think that fact that you just stated, that it, women are a workforce that's being depleted in that way, I know that's rather tough language, do you think that's well enough understood uh, in society as a whole and by government and other important people in our society? Dean? 
No, I don't think it is. And I think that's, uh, again, why we uh, work so much on awareness and concern to make sure that the general public and our legislators really understand the problem here. Um, You mentioned about the fact of unpaid caregiving. We actually do estimates. It almost takes three individuals for um, three individual caregivers for the single person that has Alzheimer's disease. So if we have 5 million people living with the disease, we have 15 million that are taking care of these um, people. So that's a cost right there. And if you look at the number of hours that they spend, it's almost 17 billion hours a year. And that comes to a cost that's just astronomical uh, to think of unpaid care. So for that reason, um, this is not something that's really known, and that's why we do these facts and figures to highlight this point and the fact that these women who are, many of them are still working, 60% of caregivers work. They have an additional toll on their life of trying to balance the two. So, yes, you're right. It does need to be brought to more attention. Right. Now, talking of time, um, it, this is where I always say it's time for us to pay the rent. That is to say, we have to uh, take a short break for the commercial. So we're going to do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Dr. Dean Hartley. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Every one of us confronts challenges that rock our world to the core, making us confused and disoriented, not knowing which way is up. On The Mother Rising, host Margaret Jacobson will nourish that spark that enlivens. You will be both empowered and inspired to create the changes leading you on your path to your own true freedom. Discover your worth and what you are capable of. Tune into The Mother Rising every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are decisions at the leadership level determined by influences of external factors? Discover by tuning into From the Boardroom to the Bedroom, The Protocol Praxis with Suzanne Z. Pedro. Science reveals that decisions are made subconsciously based on emotions and learning which occurs before one is aware. So take a chance, open the door, reframe your critical decisions with proven successful strategies. The boardroom to the bedroom. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Dean Hartley. Our topic is family caregiving for women and the Alzheimer's crisis. Dean, now let's talk about the challenges that you see arising from the facts and figures that you were talking about before. These are the facts and figures in the Association's March 2014 summary. So here's the first question. What are the most challenging of the challenges to the health of women that you see that are arising or you foresee arising from the facts and figures? Dean? Yes, and I think it really points back to what we saw in this women's initiative is there are those individuals that are living with the disease. By far, that's um, two-thirds are women, and then there are the caregivers themselves. So let's first look at those individuals that are living with the disease. Again, as you pointed out, we, the challenge there is finding those treatments. Again, it's the um, only disease in the top 10 that kill individuals that has nothing to slow, stop, or prevent the disease. So that's a major challenge right there. However, what we do want to see for women is to make sure that they understand and get an early diagnosis with that. So I think their biggest challenge is... um, One is how to face this disease in the fact that we do not have treatments and how to do that successfully. The other side is the caregivers themselves. We've mentioned the fact of that that 24-7, you know, 365-day-a-year care. That takes a toll on individuals emotionally, physically, and their um, health actually declines as well. So I think the challenge is making sure that caregivers realize that And we have tools on our website, again, www.lz.org, that are very important in terms of um, caregiver stress tests. Let them know. We have calendars to manage people in terms of when do they have to go to a doctor. Maybe for some reason they're working that day and they can't get off. The calendar says, well, maybe the family can move things around and somebody else can actually take the person to to their physician or or, um, appointment at that time. So I think there's a, uh, definitely challenges for both the people living with the disease and the caregivers themselves. Now, let's talk about the challenges um, for the women who are, I call them family caregivers. caregivers. Um, what are the most challenging of the challenges that you would like to emphasize to the health of women who are in the role of family caregiver? Dean? Yes, um, and I think we touched upon one of them is that, again, about 60% of caregivers are working. So that strain of just having to be working as well as caring for these individuals, and if something goes wrong with uh, you know, the individual with the disease during the day, how do you take time off of work? These have been challenges, and often women are, um, more so than men, are often having to change from uh, full-time to part-time care. Um, or uh, work so they can care for these individuals. So that's a challenge in itself. But then that means other things like financial challenges. If you went from full-time work to part-time, do you have enough dollars? We know this is the most expensive disease in America now over heart disease and cancer. A person lives with the disease on the average between, you know, four and six years, and the costs go up as they live longer. So for that reason, finances often, you know, can have this, this toll on their family. Family relationships, the fact that it is difficult. You mentioned some of the characteristics that happen with individuals as they progress uh, through the disease. Sometimes they become difficult 
um, to deal with, either from um, a verbal or a physical point of view. So that takes a a toll on family members, on marriages, and that physical stress of dealing with people. So for that reason, I think one is understanding that. And one of the things we like to do at the Alzheimer's Association is we have these free services, and for that reason, many of the things that they're going to encounter uh, can be seen ahead of time. We have social networks. We have many ways for those people first dealing with the disease to know what's coming. That helps a lot in terms of managing the care for these individuals. So for that reason, we do feel we can help in terms of living the best life that they can, even though this is a fatal disease. Now, I'm going to ask you now the same kind of question, that is what you see as the most challenging of the challenges, but this time it's the healthcare systems and healthcare services or social services. What are the most challenging of the challenges that you see to those, the healthcare systems and social services? Dean? I think the the one biggest thing that sticks out is the cost. Um, We talked about unpaid caregiving. We've estimated that to be $220 billion. But we do know in terms of direct uh, costs, such as Medicaid and Medicare, that's at $214 billion right now. And we've estimated by mid-century that can go up to $1.2 trillion. So for that reason, we can't sustain that in terms of our health care system. Who's going to be able to pay for that? So that's a major um, issue that's going to have to be dealt with. We do know that there's Affordable Care Act. Um, the question is how um, Alzheimer's, will be, Alzheimer's individuals uh, will be cared for uh, during that time. Those are things that are unknown at this point. So the other part is the availability of services. We know that Alzheimer's is on the rise. That's because our population is living longer. Age is the biggest risk factor for um, developing the disease. And the fact that we have in the U.S. the baby boomers, we almost have 10,000 a day coming online. So we have more people living longer and living to the age in which they're coming into the age of 65, which is the age in which you begin your greatest risk for Alzheimer's disease. So who's going to care for all those people, the services that are going to be needed? We know in terms of gerontologists that those are declining. Those are the individuals that can help. We need more dementia experts. So I think those are going to be some of the biggest challenges that if we don't find those treatments and cures, How are we going to professionally care for all those individuals? And that will be a major challenge for us. Now, I'm going to ask you a much broader question now. It's still about the most challenging of the challenges. But looking at U.S. and Canada as societies, and let's call them North America, what do you see as the most challenging of the challenges to our societies? Dean? Yes. Um, you know, one of the issues that we found, and again, this was very much reflected um, years ago in terms of cancer, is that often individuals um, that had a disease, there was a stigma against them. They were kind of shunned. They were often put off into, you know, uh, some areas. They didn't want to be talked about them. They were kept inside. The same thing has happened for Alzheimer's disease. There seems to be a stigma. We can even see it sometimes when people get diagnosis. Uh, a diagnosis of the disease itself, 
that sometimes they lose friends. They don't know how to deal with the person. So for that reason, removing the stigma of Alzheimer's disease, I think, is one of the challenges for society in itself. Um, And that second part is, again, who is going to take care of those individuals. So I think um, our pieces of where we go with our awareness and concern are ways to try to address that. We now have individuals stepping forward with their diagnosis, making statements in terms of public. We have, we've seen uh, many celebrities doing this, just recently Glenn Campbell. Um, we've seen that with Pat Summit, the basketball coach. These people are stepping forward when they're still capable to tell people about this disease and that they are still individuals and they're going to try to lead the best life that they can, but they need your help. They need your understanding that this is a disease that we need to treat. Would you go so far as to say, in effect, this is a community response to a community in its broadest sense um, facing a challenge of North American, if not international, proportions? Do you see things that way, Dean? I I, I do, and I think that's well put. Um, And highlighted in that is the recent... um, G8 summit that was held uh, on dementia um, in London uh, this past summer as a way for the world to understand about what kind of problem this is. And for that reason, it is a global problem and it's faced the same way. It faces families and faces communities. It faces both from a healthcare perspective, who's going to um, care for those individuals, as well as the cost to the countries themselves as who's going to pay for those tests, those treatments, and care. So it is of global, uh, and it is a community problem. It will take many pieces to solve this, anywhere from the individuals in terms of um, the caregivers, the legislators, uh, the physicians, um, and families all embracing this to make it work in some way, but also to find those solutions so that someday we don't have to be talking about this disease. Right. Now, just very quickly, I'd like to take you back to the stigmatization you were talking about. Just quickly, Dean, how does that actually manifest itself? In, in, what, in what way does the stigmatization exist and how does it affect people with Alzheimer's disease? Dean? Yes, uh, it's, it's very interesting in the fact about... Um, the idea of being diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, that people start to view them very differently. I think they're concerned. They don't know how to interact with them. They don't know what to say. So for that reason, as I mentioned, sometimes you find out that some friends that you've had for years will actually now walk away from you. They don't know how to interact with you. And for that reason, the other stigma is from the family themselves. They have challenges with that. And um, many years you know, um, ago that somebody, in terms of your grandparents, they would say that you know, they have some type of um, you know, brain uh, disorder. It's just you know, senility in some way. But they would often just keep them inside. They wouldn't um, engage them in society in many ways because they were concerned about how they would be viewed. Would they be ridiculed in some way? So for that reason, these people need to be integrated into the community and realizing this is a disease and the community needs to embrace them. Right. 
Now, at that point, we have to take the break again, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Dean Hartley. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Question. What's working and what's not working in your life? Though we resolve each year to do things differently and we want what's great for our businesses, our relationships, our health, and more. We don't always know where to turn when life gets tough. That's where Leading Life Large with host Rob Braun comes in. Our show challenges you to reevaluate where you are and keep pushing your way to the success you desire. If you want it bad enough, we can help you turn your life around. Leading Life Large airs Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Are you missing some romance in your life? How do you make the man of your dreams, you know, that guy you married, keep looking at you just like he did the very first time? How about checking out the Married with Romance show with your host, Emily Ann Weber? We'll help you spice up the boring and mundane and turn it into the sexy and fun. You are loved by your husband, but it's time to feel like it. Tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Dean Hartley. Our topic is Family Caregiving for Women and the Alzheimer's Crisis. Dean, now let's talk about what you see as the most effective responses to the challenges you foresee. These are the challenges arising from the facts and figures reported by the Alzheimer's Association Association's March 2014 summary. So first one is, what do you think are likely to be the most effective responses by women to the challenges to their health that you now foresee? Dean? Sure. Um, It's a very interesting question and something that we've been thinking about at the Alzheimer's Association. And with the facts and figures, um, what we decided to do is on our website, www.alz.org, which actually for this particular part is mybrain.alz.org. And what we want women to do is to go on the site and put into um, these um, questionnaires about why does my brain matter? 
In other words, we want women to understand and to put out why they can be a solution. What is it about their brain that is so great that we'll find solutions for that? So we'd like to hear from them, and we're trying to get a million women to come to the website and put in why does their brain matter. So that's one way, one way we'd like to see to do that. But, um, you know, women um, can because they are the people as caregivers. I often see this in terms of when I give uh, talks to various groups. The caregivers are so passionate about this disease because they see their loved one withering away from them. I like to see that passion. We've seen that with other diseases. If they can take that forward and say to their legislators why we need those dollars for care and support and why we need it so critically for research to actually find solutions to help, I think women can do a lot to empower this movement going forward. We've seen it so well in terms of things like breast cancer. We need them to take this this action. So I think there's a lot they can do, and for that reason, can be very beneficial in moving the needle. Right. Now, again, it's same same question, same format. What do you think are likely to be the most effective responses by women who are family caregivers? That is women responding to the challenges that you foresee who are also family caregivers. Dean? Sure. Um, I guess I kind of bit overlapped in those questions there because um, certainly I mentioned about caregivers, about how um, passionate they are. But, you know, I think uh, one of the things that we often see is that you do live in various districts of legislators who actually go to Washington. Caregivers can meet some of these challenges by the fact of talking to their legislators and saying, we need those uh, particular services uh, for our family. Um, so for that reason, uh, you know, I think families, you know, as a unit um, can often do things to rally around the individual with the disease itself, bring it to community attention, and then I think for the most part say that, you know, my mom is taking care of my dad through this time. My mom is the one who's continuing to work. Let them know, you know that uh, some of the issues she's dealing with. And, you know, sometimes friends can come to the rescue in many ways, letting people know that you're doing this. Sometimes caregivers do not necessarily want to let people in. They feel responsible all the time for taking care of these individuals. So for that reason, I think opening up, letting families know, letting communities know is another way to do this. Let me just have a sort of secondary um, question attaching to that one. What about women who are family caregivers looking after their own health and well-being? Is that a matter that you think is important? And if so, are you in the association doing anything to promote the quality of life, the well-being of um, women who are family caregivers? Yes, um, and I think it's a very important issue, um, particularly because we do have on our website um, a whole section for caregivers themselves. It can go anywhere from dealing with the disease itself as well as watching their own health. Again, I think I mentioned it earlier about a caregiver stress test. This is one way to have a gauge of where you are. But most importantly, I think there's two other things that they can do. One is make sure they let their physician know that they're caring for someone who has Alzheimer's disease. They often will know how burdensome that can be and try to monitor an individual for things such as depression or emotional um, issues that develop through, through uh, caring for these individuals. Um, but we also like to say to make sure that the caregivers, you know, and this is why it's within a family unit, 
is to make sure that they take time for themselves. In other words, they should continue to do their exercise. They should do things to eat right. They should get plenty of sleep. Those are all things that will um, have better health outcomes. They need to manage those, and a family can help manage those because the family can give them the time to do that. Right. Now, what do you think are likely to be the most effective responses by healthcare systems to the challenges that you foresee? Well, I think uh, one of the, the issues really for us is that we know that about 50% of people um, that have Alzheimer's go undiagnosed. So that's an issue in itself because the question is, is that um, how, can we, how can we find solutions for a problem if we don't necessarily acknowledge it to begin with? We at the Alzheimer's Association believe that it's really important to get an early diagnosis. It helps families plan talked about financial issues. They can plan better for that. The individual that has the disease itself can actually plan um, in terms of their health care. In other words, how is the health care system going to interact with these individuals and families to find the best you know, treatment plan going forward? So one of the health care system's questions to us is always trying to bring those concerns, especially very early on, which may be these memory issues, which are some of the first things that we see with individuals, that needs to be discussed with the physician. But we also need to be, uh, the physicians need to be aware of this disease. They need to either have baselines on people to understand how they may be regressing, you know, over time. And um, the healthcare system needs to make sure that once these people are diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, Who's going to care for them, and are they trained well? In other words, nurse staff, are they trained for people with mild cognitive impairment or dementia itself? So, again, it does take some specialty care, and the healthcare system needs to make sure that we have people properly trained, both at the physician, professional caregiver uh, level, and even for the uh, family caregiver. And that's one of the things that also Alzheimer's Association has on its website is tools there to help those people that are doing their own management. Right. Now, this is my question about the U.S. and Canada, that is, North America as societies. What are the most effective responses that you see to the challenges that you foresee at the level of societies like North America's? Dean? Yeah, I think the greatest uh, response from, from a, um, a governmental perspective is certainly, again, giving the resources that will be needed to find the solutions. In other words, those things that will slow stop or prevent the disease. Um, we know in the past that one of the reasons we've seen a 42% decrease in AIDS from like 2000 and 2010 was because there was a war on AIDS. They pumped billions of dollars into that to find the treatments that are needed for that. During that same time, Alzheimer's disease, uh, um, disease actually the number of deaths increased 68%. So that's because uh, the amount of money is only about um, $500 million. Compared to cancer and heart disease, it's between 2 and $6 billion. So to me, the response really is um, as having the dollars to understand and support research because they will find the answers for us um, to make this disease go away. 
Now, I just wanted to follow up with you about your comments about early diagnosis. Um, you know, as a, phys- as a physician from the past, early diagnosis, as I would understand it, would be then let's figure out what the treatment should be. But you made a point which I think brings home the value of early diagnosis, not only to physicians and healthcare systems, but to the families themselves so that they can uh, plan ahead, so that they know what's coming, so that they can prepare themselves for the challenge and the challenges. Is there more that you would like to say about that whole question of early diagnosis from the perspective of families? Dean? Sure. Sure. Um, thanks for bringing that back up because there is more. I think that that early di- diagnosis helps on. Uh, one issue that we do know, there are some drugs that are um, in the U.S. that are approved by the FDA for treatment of Alzheimer's disease. The, uh, the main issue with those particular drugs is they're more symptomatic. They seem to help people's memory during the early start, uh, start of that. Well, that can be a benefit to some people, and for that reason, with a diagnosis, it may be appropriate to be put on those types of medications. Um, it's unfortunately that they do not, again, slow the underlying disease, so at some point, uh, those are no longer effective, but they can help some people for a period of time. So I think that is something to know. Um, the thing that we also like to advocate, because I, again, being um, so involved with research, the only way we're going to find answers to this is through clinical trials. And clinical trials needs volunteers. And with a diagnosis, you can get an individual then possibly enrolled in a clinical trial near you. We have something uh, that we have free called Trial Match, which is a service that we provide in the U.S. Uh, for finding a clinical trial that's near you uh, that you can enroll in by whatever criteria they particularly have. And the reason that's important is, one, you're giving back to find an answer to this, this terrible disease. Two is that you get excellent medical care by those people through the clinical trials. And three you may be put on a treatment that has some benefit. So for that reason, besides all those planning issues, getting that care team together, knowing your finances, letting the individual have a say while they're still cognitively intact, you can do a lot of things to help move that needle by getting those clinical trials to go through and find answers to what medications will actually improve people's lives. Right. Now, again, it's time to take the break. We'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Dr. Dean Hartley. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Do you feel like sometimes you just don't know where to start with your health and fitness routine? Every week, you can hear from people who have been where you feel that you are right now and find out how they move forward and are living their best lives ever. It's called Lifestyle 360, and your host is Nicole Monier. Get inspired to take control of your health and your life. Tune into Lifestyle 360 every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
let so many outside factors mold and shape our lives. Technology, instant delivery. We live in an on-demand world. What's happened to the compassion, the kindness, a better pace? Listen to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. We'll bring that kindness and compassion back to our world. Our guests come from around the world and we'll discuss what's being done and what we can do to bring our lives back to order. Might Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment? Tune in to Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com. We'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next. Your host is James Barber, who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world. Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com, live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Dean Hartley. Our topic is Family Caregiving for Women and the Alzheimer's Crisis. Dean, now let's talk about more things you would like to do and you would like to see done to help with the challenges that you've been talking about, um, that you've explained to us so very well. So first off, first question, what more would you like to do to help with the challenges that you you foresee? Dean? Sure. Um, I'm probably going to start to sound like a broken record, and it's almost like thinking about real estate where they say location, location, location. I'm going to put it as research, research, and research. Um, again, um, that's going to move the needle. Um, one of the things that we do know that is if we just slow the disease by five years, it would reduce the Medicare costs by 50%. That's because most people may then have a normal life and die from other natural causes. So for that reason, research can actually slow. It can stop the disease or possibly prevent. And we do know that in the U.S. there are actually five prevention trials that are just started. They're very costly. So for that reason, what can be done? It's really allocating the dollars, the resources to do these clinical trials and to do the basic research that gives us the understanding, the biological underpinnings of the disease, which is so important in finding drugs that actually do work. So for me, it comes down to those resources. And we actually feel at the Alzheimer's Association, it's not a a matter of if we'll find one. It's a matter of when, and that's 
directly proportional to the dollars that are out there. Um, and we've seen that with AIDS. We've seen that with cancer. We've seen it with cardiovascular disease. Right. Now, what more would you like to see done and by whom to help with the challenges that you foresee? And I'm, if, I'm just going to say supporting research is obviously a fundamental sure. for governments and the rest of it. But what else would you like to see done and by whom to deal with some sure. of the challenges? Dean? You know, I think there's many things to do, and, and often when I do give talks to audiences, I like to end with, so what can you do? Well, uh, as we've talked about research, you know, just talking to your legislator can do many things also from a care and support point of view. So that, And it's also the awareness. In other words, people talking about this problem. For that reason, um, we do these discussions because if one person goes out and tells two people and then two people tell four people, you know, it just keeps expanding. And that awareness is, is, is really, really critical. Um, I think one of the other things that we need to um, continue to do is monitor our own health. We've talked about caregivers, um, about that stress test. Well, some of the research is maybe starting to suggest that there are things about our lifestyle that may impinge of lowering our risk. So one of the things I like to say to other people is know your numbers. What does that mean? Know your, are you, uh, know your blood pressure. Are you hypertensive? Do you have diabetes? Know your glucose levels. Know your cholesterol levels. Cholesterol, we do know, um, actually, some of the biological underpinnings of Alzheimer's disease are modified by cholesterol. So those things are very important in making, you know, a person healthier. We also talk about a healthy heart is a healthy brain um, because of how much oxygen and glucose goes to the brain. So for that reason, individuals can manage their health better. There are things that they can do. They have hypertension, take those medications. Those all things may reduce the risk for Alzheimer's disease. Now, the very, very interesting point that's come through to me among several, I emphasize, is that the clinical trial, the early diagnosis, and the general sense of what's happening to you in your body become part of a strategy. Know yourself, um, participate in research because, first of all, that's a good thing to do. And secondly, that it may help you by bringing you um, extra types of healthcare or medications that may help you. And then thirdly, it's a question also of societal responses, um, communities working in such a way that they influence their politicians. And if I <laughs> can be lightly facetious. The name of this show is Family Caregivers Unite, and there's sometimes an exclamation point, um, which is a call to activism. Now, you haven't gone that far, but I sense that you agree that family caregivers should really um, group themselves together, get their voices heard, and get their message out about what it is they're doing and what it is they need to do. Now, I'm now going to feed in your very last question, but I'd be glad if you could just respond to those rather rather strong statements I've just made. Mm -hmm. So, Dean, first of all, what is your message for women and men who are family caregivers right. for family members living with Alzheimer's disease? Dean? 
Well, I do like the way you frame that because I do think they're very passionate and it takes that passion to make a cause and to make it successful. What we know for all causes, that relentless pursuit of your goals is critical for finding the answers. So for that reason, I think they could be a very powerful asset to finding the end to this disease. Uh, We certainly don't want to see it in future generations, um, and we certainly want to end it now. So for that reason, I I like the way of thinking about that they could um, certainly unite. Um, From a standpoint of um, this awareness piece, I think sometimes... um, Families are not, or caregivers are not always aware of what they can do outside of just taking care of these individuals. Yes, they can unite in terms of talking to legislators. They could be in clinical trials as well. They could help be part of the solution. Um, they can do things um, such as going out and, you know, um, if they were so inclined, this is my father, this is my mother, this is my brother or sister that has Alzheimer's disease, take them to places. Show them the face of Alzheimer's disease. You know, let people know that these are individuals that are affected by that. So I think they can empower, you know, themselves to do this um, as well as they can empower others to take action as well. Uh, They are most passionate uh, group that I've seen so far, so I'd like to see that happen. Empowerment is a great word um, to do what we unfortunately have to do, which is to bring this exciting episode to a close, um, because empowering people means all the things that you've said, and that is supporting the movement to do the research, to provide the caring, to provide the insight, to provide the support, to provide the recognition and to relieve the economic stress on society as a whole and also on families individually. So all I can say to you, Dean, is the very, very best of success to you and your colleagues in all the things that you're doing through the association, at the association, because the future is in your hands in that way. So you <laughs> you must succeed for all our success. Now, well, I want to say, sorry. I certainly appreciate those thoughts, and, and for that reason, um, we appreciate efforts like yours to bring this to the public. Because again, it adds to that where uh, that awareness and concern. Thank you. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be sharing the burden in jails and detention centers. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk with you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 